Hey everybody, Cheryl Todd here from Gun Freedom Radio, and I am super excited to dive into today's conversation with Rob Pincus. Rob Pincus is a professional trainer, author, and consultant. He's also the vice president of Avidity Arms. He also serves on the board of 2AO.org and Walk the Talk America. He and his staff at ICE Training Company provide services to military, law enforcement, private security, and students interested in self-defense. And most recently, and the reason I'm so excited to talk to Rob today, he was one of the organizers of a first-of-its-kind so I'm already implying and hoping that there's <laughs> yes. going to be more, see what I did there, a 2A rally on the West Lawn of the U.S. Capitol Building in Washington, D.C. What an amazing day and welcome to the show, Rob. Thanks, Sarah. It's great to be back on with you. You know, it, uh, the rally was amazing. It, it was so great to have you and, and uh, 29 other you know, wonderful speakers involved and uh, the people that supported it, the other organizers, the funders, and, and of course, first and foremost, the attendees, the people that showed up on that gorgeous weather day um, really made the event what it was. And now the thousands of people who are sharing the videos and sharing the messages from the speakers, you know, that's really uh, fulfilling the goal, fulfilling the vision that the organizers uh, that we all had. Absolutely. And just touch on that for a second. What was the, the overall driving mission of picking a date, going through all the legwork that it takes to, uh, you know, just secure a spot on the lawn of the Capitol building? A lot of people don't even know you can do that. Right. What was the driving mission uh, of that whole event? Well, at some level, it was really just do it because it can be done, right? It's, it's some things are worth doing just for the doing sake. It's something I've been saying a lot this week. Uh, there's so many people in our community that have these these mixed, you know, cliche kind of mentalities towards rallies or towards gatherings or especially towards Washington, D.C. in general, whether it's, it's not worth it or people won't show up or there's just a lot of negativity around it. And uh, people are afraid of being compared to, you know, the half a million people that showed up for the Million Moms March. I mean, that was how long ago was that? You know, and we're still sort of afraid to come out of our shell and be proud American gun owners. And if if it takes 2,000 or 3,000 the first time and, and next time, maybe five or six or 7,000. Oops, I, I guess I just did it right. I said there might be a next time. Uh, so <laughs> the, it, that's where we are. And, and so really just doing this to prove it could be done and especially proving it could be done without you know, paying for buses to bring people in without a major organization sponsoring it, without a major company sponsoring it, because um, the American gun owners are the American gun lobby. And we really want this to be grassroots. We wanted it to have a grassroots feel, appearance, and sincerity, which meant um, everyone who donated to, to fund the organization, and there were some very generous donors to fund the, the organization of the rally, um, were anonymous. You know, you know, there were no advertising, no banners, no sponsored by. And I think that was really important to the feel the vibe uh, of the event. Boy, you just touched on so many of my um, entrepreneurial buttons as you were talking about that. The whole idea of, well, why not try it? You know, the, let's do it because why would we not, right? And being new, I'm, I'm much newer to the 2A world than you are. You've been in this much longer than I have. And I think that sometimes the, the naivete that I bring to things is uh, why I, I just kind of try things and do things because I haven't already been told 
no, we don't, mm, we're two way, we don't do that. Or, well, we tried it like 900 years ago. <laughs> right, and right. Exactly, well, exactly. You know, and so, um, so I can catch that spirit uh, pretty easily. And then when I heard that it was about, you know, unity and collaboration, and as a business owner, if I'm going to spend what would come out of my marketing budget to, you know, help with an event, I've got to justify that back to my, my team and I've got to justify that to the accountant that, all right, well, we spent this money and we have a banner this size and we're going to have right. on some uh, website somewhere, we're going to have this, uh, you know, advertisement that appears. And the fact that people, someone somewhere dug deep into their pockets and said, I'm going to invest in this with no direct benefit to me huge. I mean, to me, that is absolutely huge. And, um, you know, I think initially it made me go, who, like what now, you know, but you get over that pretty quickly because then you go back to, well, this is what our founders did. They did things at their own peril, right? So for people in our modern day to spend money that doesn't maybe necessarily directly relate to their advertising dollars and bringing them more eyes to their product or their brand, but rather to embolden the public to say, wow, our, wait, our constitution, what is that? Oh, wait, our bill of rights, oh, this matters? Oh, this is connected to me in some way? Huge. I, I just really have a lot of respect for whoever those those anonymous people were and at some point will we ever get to know or are they determined to stay kind of behind the scenes? I, I think it's important, you know, that knowing, uh, let's, let's say that there's five or six organizations, uh, six organizations that all out of pocket cash money put in a four figure number and they're, and it, it varied, you know, inside of that four figure number. And then there's a whole bunch of other organizations that gave other in other ways and, and supported the event in other ways. And I think everybody remains unified in the idea that keeping that behind the scenes empowers and almost challenges others to get involved, not, not maybe in the Second Amendment rally 2020, but in a whole bunch of other, other events, other things like this, other things in this spirit. Um, there, there doesn't have to be that, that tagline. There doesn't have to be a branding on everything that gets done. And, and that's incredibly important because the brand here is the Second Amendment. The brand here is American gun owners. And the people that gave are all concerned American gun owners. People would ask us on the committee, well, we want to know who's behind it. Okay, concerned American gun owners. No, 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 really, who's behind it? Why isn't that good enough? You know, and I get it. Like there's all kinds of, you know, you just turn on the news, right? These people are doing this behind the back. They've got an agenda. They've got a narrative. They're trying to steer things, manipulate things. Over. Well, all right, let's pretend for a second, right? Let's go worst case scenario. Nancy Pelosi funded the 2A rally. Was that not an amazing day? And thank you for spending your money on us, Nancy Pelosi, right? Like, mm -hmm. like at the end of the day, all of the speakers, all of the attendees had to be there for the right reasons. They weren't supporting. There wasn't a brand on the podium. So to, even if somebody you didn't like was supporting it, I don't know why that matters. I mean, there were people on the stage throughout the day who were at each other's throats. Uh, over over different things inside of the community at different times, and yet 
They owned their five to six minutes. They promoted the event as a coalition. I don't, the word unity is a word that I try, I, I don't use as, as freely because as unity does imply that everybody's kind of, you know, locked in together. And we aren't, we're a hundred million American gun owners. There's a lot of diversity of thought. There's a lot of other things that we care about outside of guns that we disagree maybe vehemently on. But mm -hmm. under that umbrella of the second amendment uh, exists to protect our individual right to keep and bear arms. That's what everybody did unite under. And what that says to me, the word I like to use is coalition, you know, or, or a collaboration. Mm -hmm. um, I look at like, sometimes I'll, I'll go into towns and I, you know, I travel constantly and teach and speak and do all that stuff. Right. So I'll go into a town and I'll be at one gun shop, but I'll have a friend who works or as a member of, or, or maybe the owner of another gun shop. And I'll say, Hey, I saw you were in town. Uh, you know, I'd love to get together with you. Okay. We'll come to the event. Like we're having an event across like, like, you know, two miles from where your business is, come on over, you know, wear your shirt. I don't care Wear your brand, hand out your flyers because it's a second amendment event or it's a personal defense event, or it's some kind of a thing that we should all be united against. Because if there's more pride of gun ownership and more activity in the gun community in your town, you're going to benefit just as much as that gun shop on the other side of the, the county. Um, and we need to be more collaborative, uh, you know, and I think that's, it's okay to have those differences but find those opportunities to collaborate, especially in a stigmatized, you know, minority, essentially. I mean, we're not much of a minority, but we aren't the majority of the country as American gun owners. We're a huge chunk, but it's that diversification inside that chunk that prevents us from being as loud a voice as we should. So that was a big, big part of this rally. It wasn't just one organization or one company or one type of gun owner. It was American gun owners. And how important was that to uh, the organizers that you had such a wide, because uh, truly it was a slice of America, right? If you, if you step back and you kind of look at the speakers, uh, not only who they are as a person, but the message that they brought and the message that they live out, uh, how important was that? Or were you looking for people that well, they've got a gajillion followers, and so let's be sure that we have that person because that'll bring eyes to the event. Well, I'll, I can assure you that last part was was very, very low on the, the criteria list because at the end of the day, um, I was actually having a very interesting conversation with Tyler, um, Tyler from uh, uh, Second Amendment Institute, um, who I know you work with, great guy. He, as a local, um, was actually very helpful in, in some boots on the ground type stuff in the background of, of the organization. And I was talking to him about some projects he's got going on, and he's he's working on a project that would be, um, I think, quite a quite an eyeball getter. It would be a lot of people would look at it, a lot you get a lot of attention, you get a lot of likes, maybe a lot of you know, kind of maybe even um, uh, sensationalism around what he's thinking about doing on college campuses. And I and I I just cautioned him. I said, just because someone looks at you, or just because somebody even likes or follows your social media account, doesn't necessarily mean that you're getting value out of it, right? And and um, the empty follow or the empty like or the easy laugh, you know, the the uh, the off-color joke that you know is going to get a laugh in the locker room, but then if it were repeated outside of the locker room, it would embarrass you. Why go for the easy laugh? And, and I think we do that. Everybody does that in, in business sometimes. And I've certainly gone down that road in the past, and I've seen other people who have been involved in projects that went down that road. And I think it's ultimately a, a real failure. I, I don't want – people were saying because of the baseball parade, wow, wouldn't it be great? if you know 5000 people from the baseball parade like wandered up to see what was going on and i'm thinking no 
Uh, I want invested American gun owners who, who took the time, effort, and energy to travel to the West Lawn of the Capitol to be there for the Second Amendment rally. I don't want baseball fans that, that are curious. Now, if we can influence those baseball fans, of course, that's great. But I wouldn't, like, I wouldn't even post the photo op of you know, 10,000 baseball fans close to us and insinuate that we had 15,000 people at the rally. It just would be, it'd be disingenuous and it's the wrong 15,000 people. So I was really proud of the people that came there for the right reasons. And I don't want people there just because uh, a celebrity was going to speak, be speaking. Mm. No, that's so true. And I was, you know, very impressed actually with the size of the crowd and uh, there are a lot of metrics that go into deciding is an event, of, uh, whatever it is, SHOT Show or, you know, one of the events we hold at our auction house, one of our speaker events or a rally like this. There are a lot of metrics that go into deciding was it worthwhile, was it successful, and would we do it again? And crowd size, of course, matters. But physical crowd size is not the only crowd that we have in this amazing digital world we live in. Exactly. exactly. Right? And so uh, the physical crowd was, uh, for me, surprising that we could gather, the, the organizers could gather uh, close to, I mean, I'm going to let you say the number, but to gather that many people and they stayed, they stood, right. they stood, they, there were no chairs, right? I don't even think we had porta potties. They stayed for the entire four-hour event. So I've heard estimates of the physical crowd um, that they all kind of line up. But what would you say? Because I'm not personally very good at that that estimation. I've been. It's been kind of a whirlwind. Of uh, I was in a whirlwind two weeks leading up to the thing. I was literally on a two-week road trip that ended with the rally, and then I got back out here at the Western HQ, and there's been a lot going on. I have not taken a still picture and, you know, begun to, I think there's apps that count. I haven't done any of that. As far as I know, none of the organizers, we haven't even had our organizers debrief. We're actually doing that later this evening. Um, the first time we're all going to talk after getting a little space from it um, on Saturday afternoon. So uh, we don't have an official number. I'll say that the estimates that I've heard all range between 2000 and 2,500. There were a couple of articles that came out early. I think the first one was the Newsweek that said over 1000 we know there was a lot more than 1,000 uh, people there. I would think, based on just the comings and goings and the fact that so many people, you know, there were a, a great group of 1,500 to 2,000 diehards that I know stood there for three hours and 15 minutes, the entire you know, duration from the Pledge of Allegiance to the National Anthem. Uh, but there were a lot of people that came and went. There were a lot of people that were on the sidelines in the shade, sitting along those walls. And if you look at the videos of the speakers and the pictures of speakers, you'll see there was another couple few hundred people scattered up behind us. So, so I, I, I would not hesitate to say that there were 3,000 American gun owners involved somewhere in that three hours that were out there on the West Lawn listening and engaged and interested. Uh, but, but yeah, I think 2,000 is a really, 2,000 2,500 is a sustained number of people that were out there as an audience. Um, but either way, as you said, uh, you know, a lot of the speakers, and, I, and I'm not sure, I think Jeff may have reached out to you first. We kind of split up the, the work as far as that goes. But um, a lot of the speakers that I talked to, part of my like recruiting pitch, I guess, was, uh, hey, if nothing else, you're going to get a chance to speak on the West Lawn at the U.S. Capitol. You're going to get that video that you can do whatever it is you want with with your audience. You can tell that story forever. You're going to have the photo op. And, and it's going to be a unique event. And, and if that's enough to get you to, to commit to having, you know, a speech ready and to be there, then I'm cool with that. 
don't, you know, if you're worried about how many likes you're going to get or how many, how much your business is going to grow, you're probably not the person we're really looking for anyway. And uh, some people were concerned about that. I know that there were people in fact, you know, and not to, to kind of go too far off into like a negative, but it is important to, for me to call out and celebrate commitment like you gave and the other speakers gave because there were other people who didn't want to get involved and specifically said, you know, I, what if it flops? You know, that would, that's going to, I don't want to be associated with something. How do you know there's going to be at least a thousand people there? Or how do you know it's really even going to go? Um, and, and, you know, I don't, uh, but, but I'm willing to put my name on it. And I'm asking you and there's, here's these other people. And it was really interesting to see the domino effect. Once people like you committed very early and started spreading the word, then all of a sudden, you know, people started putting their hands in the air and it's like, oh, we're full, you know, maybe next time, um, you know, but we'd appreciate you sharing and supporting. And I think let me give it a real shout out to uh, Kellyanne Pigeon. She's one who, who very much wanted to speak. Um, she was very eager to speak from a relatively early time, but at, at a time where we had already got, gotten far more applications than we had. You know, quite honestly, the DC project was very well represented um, already inside of the, the speakers list that we were developing. And you know, I, I think Jeff and I both talked to her and said, hey, we're friends, we get it. You have a great message, you're a great speaker, but you know, we're really, you know, we're full up, but we, we really appreciate your support. And we hope that you know, you're still gonna attend. And sure enough, you know, she showed up and attend. We had one confirmed speaker who had a travel issue show up late Saturday morning. He sent me a text that he wasn't able to make it. Kellyanne and Kelly were both, you know, her and her husband were both right there. And I said, hey, are you, you, is your speech ready? And she said, absolutely, no problem, no hesitation. And she was able to jump in and fill that spot. Well, if she hadn't committed to attending anyway, she wouldn't have ended up on that stage that day. And, and I think that, that there was a lot of people like that. I mean, I probably could have, I could have picked one of you know, two dozen, three dozen people that were there attending and supporting anyway, who would have been able to contribute as a speaker as well. And there's only, you know, there's so much time in the day, but that, that issue of doing it because it can be done, mm -hmm. doing it the best you can, owning it and capitalizing on the opportunity as best you can really exists with you as the individual speaker. We as the organizers are creating that opportunity. Part of that opportunity certainly is all of the, the streaming media. I mean, Breitbart News streamed the entire three hours and 12 minutes. The last one was always tens of thousands of viewers. I've watched that just through them, plus all the work that we're doing. And we haven't released a single video yet. We're going to get to that later this week. So it's, um, there's, it's a lot of cool stuff. And that will continue to have a ripple effect for a long time. Absolutely. And again, I, it could come down to my uh, entrepreneur spirit. Uh, but, you know, it, to not participate because you're afraid it's going to fail. To me, that just doesn't enter the, the conversation. Because I'm thinking if you if you plan something, you've already succeeded, you've already done something you've already done something. And then uh, I think I've said this in a couple of the interviews leading up is if the only people that showed up are the people that are going to get behind a microphone, it's still a success. Why? Because we do have that digital audience. We do have a way to, to film and send it forward. It gives it longer legs. It gives it a longer life. And uh, so I, I just couldn't see how it, it's a fail. And, you know, as far as, well, is there going to be this overarching message that might be, you know, negative in some way? Like, is everybody going to get up there and, and maybe take it as an opportunity to bash someone or bash something? And even that, I thought, well, that's not what I'm going to do. That won't right. be my right. purpose. That won't be my message. And truly to stand on the lawn where you have the U.S. Capitol building behind 
and in front of you, you see all the way down to the, the Washington Monument. Uh, it is a bucket list item that truly I would have never thought could be in my bucket. So to be invited to do that, if I'm going to talk myself out of it because of these, these funny little fears, uh, I'm glad I don't operate that way because um, it, was, it was an incredible day. And the other speakers that uh, came and went from that podium, from that microphone, you know, I, in the day I was networking, I was talking to people. So I was picking up a, an interview here, an interview there. But yesterday I listened to all of them. I went to that Breitbart uh, Facebook live feed and holy cow, did they really bring information? It wasn't just a, a rah, rah, thank you very much, clap, clap, followed by another rah, rah. It, we were truly, uh, I learned things from the mm -hmm. speakers. And when I look at how many amazing advocates that are out and about doing important uh, constitutional work, how did you ever narrow it down to 30? You, you asked that question earlier and I took one piece of it, but the, the part, original part of that first uh, question or the earlier question was, you know, the diversity and kind of that slice of America aspect. And certainly that's part of it. But what's really important to understand is I, I use the word diversity, but I, I don't mean superficial diversity, right? I think in my in my GRPC speech a couple of years ago, I uh, kind of called out our ham-fisted, you know, superficial diversity that we do sometimes in this in this community, and that's like you take a snapshot of you know every shade of human being and every gender and a couple that you aren't even you have to squint a little bit to figure it out leaning up against the, the fence rail with like the shotgun broken open, like, look, American diversity went to the sh shooting range. That's not how it works, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, you go to, if you go to a restaurant in America that's diverse, you see a, a pocket of this color and a family over here and maybe a mixed couple over here. It's, it, it's not one of everybody on, on a you know, rainbow stage. So we, we, on a superficial level, I actually pushed back against that. You know, we didn't have a quota system by any stretch. Um, what I wanted was diversity of thoughts diversity of ideas, diversity of perspective, diversity of focus, you know, priorities, because we, we all have different priorities, right? I, I mean, I obviously come from you know, very heavily from the educational personal defense side. My emphasis when it comes to gun rights advocacy, as much as anything else is internal to the gun community on the responsibilities we have as we exercise our rights to avoid the, the easy win for the other side when a four-year-old gets into a purse and finds a loaded gun and a tragedy ensues, right? So, so doing the things we can do internally is really important to me. Other people have other uh, emphasis, you know, and, and it's so important that we represented that. And that's why we had, you know, lawyers up there. We had defense instructors up there. We had people deeply involved in the politics and the legislative activities up there. We had, um, you know, shooters. We had American shooters, competition shooters who have stories that, that are deeper than just, you know, how to win at IPSC or how to win at IDPA that tie into gun rights advocacy and gun rights issues. Um, obviously, we have a great range of people that from the from the urban demographic to the rural demographic people who grew up with guns people who came to guns late uh, just the stories of the speakers would make a great book you know and the messages of the speakers really that's a snapshot of 100 million american gun owners in 2019 right it kind of shows you what's going on in in the minds of american gun owners from one end of the spectrum to another and again that's where it comes back to this idea of coalition um, coalition of diverse thoughts and ideas 
that will disagree about things. You know, we have disagreements. Uh, and again, I, I personally, there were things said on the stage that I disagree with by a couple of speakers, but that didn't keep me from, you know, I didn't put a black marble in the box and say, nope, I don't agree with a hundred. There's no hundred percent purity with that speaker. So I don't want them on the stage. Or I had a business deal go sideways with that speaker three years ago, or the company that one works with competes with a company that sponsors my personal events network training tour, so I can't have them on the stage. We had to go to put all that aside. Um, and I think when you and I were talking uh, after the rally, it was it's like church and state, right? There, and for a lot of us, it's church and eight states, because we, we, we have you know, this sponsor or this company we work with or this company we're friends with, plus our own personal feelings. To me, that's the church. And, and I don't have to like all the speakers. We didn't all go out and have a drink afterwards, but I had a drink with a bunch of them. Some of them had to leave early, you know? Yeah. No, well, and so when we come back to this thing right here, this document, right, which is so huge, I can understand why oh. a few of us have read, right? Yeah. Oh, it's so, so, such a hard read, all, all 45 minutes. Oh my gosh, for real. But the, the people that sat down and wrote this, if we could only teleport ourselves back there and listen to the, the vehement disagreements, right? And the, the ones that personally couldn't stand each other, but knew that they had to work together in order to bring together a collaborative, right, document uh, to, to lead us into the future. So I think that 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 is, I'm so glad that you brought that up, that it's not like we have to be best friends with the people that we are working with and that we are trying to stand shoulder to shoulder with as we keep our eye on the ultimate goal of restoring every syllable of our 27 words in our uh, Second Amendment, right? Right. Well, and you know, and you hold up that document. I, I made a joke, uh, I don't know, two weeks ago on one of the podcasts when the person was really pressing me. Well, people want to know who's behind this because they don't trust it or whatever. And I'm like, look, I, Benjamin Franklin was an incredible entrepreneur, right? Uh, Thomas Jefferson was very successful at business. Like, tell me what companies they worked for. Like, what pin were they wearing at the Continental Congress, right? Like, what banner? Like, which 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 cider company sponsored that meeting, right? Like, there there's you don't need that. You know, we've got this branded society, right? And like you said, like you introduced, we were, you just said, I, I, when I showed up pre-show and wearing the shirt, you're like, oh, I didn't mention PDN in your intro. And it's like, you can't mention all the things I do in the intro. Like, we'll be 45 minutes done, right? I've got my, I've got a lot of things going on. Uh, but I wasn't up there on stage wearing a personal defense network pin and a Walk the Talk America pin and a 2AO pin. And, a, you know, it's, that's ridiculous. Um, I specifically wore no pins because especially as one of the organizers and getting up there and, and introducing a lot of you, it would it just it'd be disingenuous to me to say anonymous funding. You know, it, it is certain there was a, a conflict at some level for Jeff Knox and I, because we, we, somebody had to say something, right? Like if we had all just kept talking to ourselves on the committee and never, you know, if we'd have, if you'd had a, a blocked caller ID on your phone, you know, in a muffled voice, we'd like you to speak at the 2A rally, show up at 11 o'clock on November 2nd in DC, a click. Like who, like, you know, so at some point we had to be, you know, public. There had to be some faces of the organization, but, but ultimately that would have been the best, right? Like just an anonymous text message goes out and 30 speakers show up and that's now we're truly, you know, anonymous. If that wasn't possible, it's, just, it's, it's completely impossible. But things like, um, not trademarking the logo, right? Like, so, so all the speakers got one of these little, little wallets. You see the flag up here behind me. 
um, that was an internal discussion because we came out and, and I went out specifically and, and as did others. But I mean, for me personally, when we got on the call and it came time to, hey, people really seem to like this flag. People are asking, where can they get it? But we should think about trademarking that. And somebody on the, on the committee you know, brought that up. And, I, and it wasn't just me. There were, everyone was kind of like, oh, I don't know. And I said, look, I personally went to people to ask them to fund this. They committed a significant amount of money in a couple of cases, knowing that they were getting no credit knowing that, that there was no business agenda here whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But I understand what you're saying. Like, this is now, this is a, a thing that's in the world that has value. Mm-hmm. But we would have to create a legal entity to trademark it so that that legal entity, the business or corporation could own it. Mm-hmm. And now we've just created a business that, you know, we don't know what's going to happen three years, five years. Six, and then, and even if we never do another, because at the time we're like, we're not going to grow. This is one and done. Well, then who's going to pay the incorporation fees, who's going to pay the fees next year, who's going to do the taxes, there's got to be a bank. This is all ridiculous, right? Like, no, this is a this is in the public domain, do what you want with it, go make stickers, go make patches, go make hats, go make flags, you know, make it yours, gun community, like that is a thing that's out there. The email list, right, we collected the email list so that people that were interested, we could communicate with them, things like the parade, letting people know the roads were going to be closed, and here's the travel deal, here's the metro lines, take things like that. We're going to purge the email list. So we're going to send out some follow-up emails, get some feedback from people, thank people for coming, and we're going to purge the email list. Well, that's got value. Why don't we send it to all the people who funded it? No, that wasn't the deal. We told the attendees, we told the people who were going to register that even if we do it again, we may send out an email with like an opt-in that says, hey, you were interested. Uh, As we committed to, we're going to purge this email list, but click here, we'll add you to the next email list, or we'll add you to an email list that's going to be distributed to all the speakers or and we're going to be talking about some of that stuff this week. But these are the, the business morons that we are, right? Like we, we said, no, we're not doing any of this for as a business reason. But I think it's very important. And it goes back to, you can't tell me the name of four companies that Thomas Jefferson was involved in or, or 10 companies that Benjamin Franklin was involved in. They were very successful businessmen. And then most of them were very entrepreneurial. But uh, we have to be able to put all that aside and do the work in a pure way and we hope that others will follow our lead on that or at least trust that it can be done that way because i still think there's people out there that that don't trust that even this was was genuine Hmm. well i i said this to you yesterday while we were texting back and forth about uh this interview is that as a business person it like physically hurts me to to know that all those emails are going to be purged because the it there's value in, in collecting. Uh, yeah. I think there's something, I think there's like, I don't know, 6,000, 7,000 of them uh, in the, in the, in that list, you know, and it's, and, and, but again, and, and, and Hey, I get it. Like I am entrepreneurial. I'm a business guy. I make money. I promote, I, all that stuff. Right. But this was, this was a different kind of deal. And, and, and people it, have to trust that you can do it both ways. Yeah. And it's important that, you know, the follow through, I said, I was going to X, and I'm doing X. That is that is more valuable than the addresses, even though there's a lot of value there. So, <laughs> but uh, but I like the idea that you know because we don't want people to next year or whenever this might happen again. I hope it does. Uh, that them to find out the day after and go, wait, why didn't you tell me? Right. right. You had my email address because, you know, people don't pay full attention sometimes. 
And so you're going to give them an opportunity before you purge to say, hey, listen, stuff could be happening. So if you want to stay on the, this list in this list of information, uh, you know, be sure you're, you're engaged on that. Um, talking about all the speakers, there was a surprise speaker that you brought to the podium. And even knowing that there was a surprise speaker, and even knowing that it was someone who was definitely not like a mainstream uh, person that would instantly come to any of our minds. I didn't know, I didn't really have a sense of who that was going to be. And I even walked up and introduced myself to him somewhere during the day and uh, didn't, didn't even make a connection then. I just realized that because he's standing over here and he's holding paper in his hands, he's got to be one of our speakers. When he said his name, I didn't recognize his name and he didn't embellish and immediately somebody called my, my name and I, I lost attention. But uh, he, was a, he was a very, I think, effective speaker a very uh, interesting speaker and someone that I think is going to create um, conversations moving forward because there is so much in our world and I'm going to let you tell everybody who it was in a minute. Uh, there's so much in our world that is about nuance, right? Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes people hear the word nuance and they think compromise and it's like, no, I'm talking about nuance. I'm talking about shades of gray. I'm talking about how do we uh, draw people into our world and have true conversations. And I think this speaker uh, truly accomplished that. And I'm going to let you jump off from there and tell us who it was, how he came to be one of our speakers, and what, what does it mean moving forward? Yeah, so it was Dan Gross, and he is the most recent past president of the uh, Brady campaign to uh, prevent handgun violence or whatever their full name is, but the, the Brady campaign, the opposition, right? The largest name, I think the most well-established name in the opposition to what we do, right? Pro-gun rights. And uh, what was interesting about that, the whole surprise speaker thing, is there was, it was really interesting how the speaker, I said, like, the challenge, one of the biggest challenges, you know, all the challenges, really, I guess, um, in the early moments were about making the logistics happen and the permits and all that. But eventually as we got closer and closer, the real challenges for the committee were just kind of keeping everybody motivated and excited and focused. And the speakers all, you know, I think, I think a lot of us, and I'll, I'll include us on the organizing committee somewhere in those final few days, it's kind of like, you know, getting ready to walk down the aisle and you're like, wait, what, what's happening? <laughs> you know, and you start to get nervous, you're all the things that can go wrong. And one of the things that, that some of the speakers were nervous about was, wait a minute, I know when I'm speaking, but I, when, why are you going to publish the whole list? And who are the other speakers? And that was one of the things that came up from some people. And there was a bunch of reasons why we didn't publish the whole list, even to the speakers until that morning. And I think to this day, most of the speakers didn't ever get the full list. It was, some of it was about logistics. Just there's only so much time in the day. Uh, I didn't want to have to answer. Jeff didn't want to have to answer. Nobody on the organizing committee wanted to have to answer. Why am I speaking after? Or why can't I go earlier? Or gee, I'd really like to go. At, you know, we, we, we asked you guys, does anybody have travel restrictions that, that affect you? You can only be there at the end. You can only be there at the beginning. We had two speakers who could only be there at the beginning. We had one speaker who couldn't get there until after two. We accommodated those requests very easily. But um, it was funny, the night before the uh, event, Friday night, 
sat down with somebody who, who wasn't even a speaker, but was involved in logistics, involved in uh, uh, part of the, what was going to happen the next morning and, and gave them the complete speakers list so they could help us if we needed to find somebody, get them to the stage area and looked at the list. And I mean, it wasn't 35 seconds. Did you consider putting, you know, stop. <laughs> yeah. Like, no, not, not even not even having that conversation. This is not my broad but, committee, right? We have right, a, right. a committee. You, you have a voice, but you have no vote. And yeah. I don't even have a voice right now. I got 12 yeah. hours to go. Shoot. So, so having said that, could you imagine if we'd have put out to this speaker group, hey, by the way, we're bringing on the most recent past president of the Brady campaign to speak. I mean, it would have been necessary, <laughs> right? So as much as I think the majority of the speakers kind of trust me, no. And they kind of trust Jeff. No, like what you're doing, there would have been way. So no, so we're not even going to talk about it. So what we did was there were about three speakers who knew for other, for other various reasons already, because, and I'll get to kind of the backstory of how Dan came to be there. There were three, other, three other speakers that knew. And there was, uh, there were a few media people in the gun community who also knew and who actually did interviews with Dan prior to putting them up on the stage. And uh, certainly, obviously, when I brought the, the opportunity up to the committee, it was very important that other committee members, Jeff Knox, I think, talked to him two or three times, you know, about a month ago now, um, just sort of vetting, but also creating a level of comfort and creating some, some uh, it wasn't just Rob's idea, right? Like, there's, this, is, this is the committee, and then moving forward, it is, you know, supported by some aspect of the community, because it is a, a, a kind of head tilter, right? Like, you got, here's a guy who, since 1997, has been part of the gun rights conversation and sit up until 2017, sometime in 2017 was definitely, you know, seen as the opposition. In fact, the opposition leader, I mean, in 2016, he did a Ted talk that, you know, if you watch it, it just, it makes you cringe. I mean, the, 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 the rhetoric and the cliches and sort of the talking points that he uses while he's the president of Brady it, to sincerely try to protect the loss of life, protect from the loss of life, protect innocent life, protect from gun tragedies, gun negligence, all the things that, that I do and that you do and that many other people inside of the gun world do, he was doing from the other side. Mm -hmm. so, so how does he come to stand on the stage with a bunch of you know, clearly established Second Amendment advocates? In, uh, and I told this story when I introduced him. I mean, you can see this on the video uh, streams. Uh, in 19, I, I always, people ask me, when did I get started in the community? Well, 1997 was my first SHOT Show. And I use that as my official entry into the gun community in a, in a you know, real professional capacity in, in some way. Within 30 days of my first SHOT Show, his brother was shot in a spree killing, uh, spree shooting up on the observation deck of the Empire State Building. This was in, a, you know, after the assault weapons ban was passed, before the NICS system was really established, there was a patchwork of background checks and waiting periods and all these things. And this, this killer went down to Florida, established a temporary residence in a motel, bought a gun legally in Florida at the time, came back to New York and uh, shot, I think, seven people on the observation deck of the Empire State Building, killing his brother's best friend and putting his brother uh, with a head injury into the hospital uh, that he still you know, lives with the ramifications of that and his family lives with the ramifications of that to this day. Now, if you've got a, a very articulate, very well-educated guy um, with some, some resources and some influence um, working in the marketing advertising industry and his brother um, is struck by this tragedy, his family is struck by this tragedy, you can imagine where this goes, right? Uh, obviously, he becomes very passionate about it. Um, he's not, he, he, you know, upstate New York, you know, some hunting, some this, some that, whatever, growing up at the 4-H club shooting the 22, but definitely not 
you know, he didn't walk into this as a gun rights guy. So which side does he end up on it? And I look at like what happened in Parkland. I'm not going to sit paint Dan as a victim of manipulation. He is his own guy and he is sincere. But a lot of us know that, you know, in Parkland, the anti-gun community kind of swooped in and grabbed some people really quick and put them up on a pedestal and, and coached them and put them in a position to all of a sudden be advocates for gun control when they probably didn't think twice about guns the day before the tragedy of Parkland. Mm -hmm. And Dan was definitely, you know, one of those guys. He wasn't thinking about guns in January of 1997. February 1997, guns are horrible. They just almost killed my brother. They derailed his career. They killed his best friend. They did all these things. I'm anti-gun. Mm -hmm. At one point, this guy was, was actually advocating for no one should have handguns except the police and military, you know? And if you put yourself for a moment and just kind of empathize and put yourself from the perspective he was in, you kind of see how he gets there. Mm -hmm. Well, then fast forward over 20 years, he starts to realize that they're not getting anywhere. Mm. Like the things that they're doing on the other side aren't actually having an impact on the behavior of gun owners, right? In that same time, in, in, the, in the last 30 years, we've seen dramatic changes in things like seatbelts and smoking and nutrition and healthful attitudes. Like human behavior has changed dramatically, recycling, conservation. Human behavior has changed dramatically in, in our lifetimes over a lot of uh, you know, sort of common sense, make earth better, make human beings better, be healthier ways. Uh, they realize that the only changes and a lot of the important changes that have happened in the gun world have been from the gun community, right? You look at gun negligence deaths. Somebody showed me the numbers from Washington state. Um, there's like, we have now like 5% the gun negligence accidents in Washington state that we did 20 years ago. And it's because of our education. It's be, I think it's a lot of it has to do with concealed carry permits and the growth of concealed carry. People are getting more training. People are getting more educated. People are being more responsive with firearms. So this is all happening inside of the community. So for a variety of different reasons, um, you, Dan came to, to uh, a head with the, the Brady board and the other people there where he wasn't interested in assault weapons bans. He wasn't interested in le legislation restricting certain types of guns. He wasn't interested in magazine capacity restrictions. He was interested in really making a behavioral change and more working with gun owners instead of just against them. So he left. And uh, we met uh, about 15 months ago. He was hired as a consultant and I was hired as a consultant for a product development uh, project. Um, so we actually met on a Skype meeting and it was a, a technology company that was looking to do some interesting things with ammunition that had uh, some safety uh, aspects to it, but also some uh, potentially profitable aspects to it in terms of a new technology being marketed, both uh, you know mass to the military, but also to consumer market. So we were brought in from different perspectives to be consultants that sort of knew the gun landscape, knew the gun industry landscape. The project was a disaster. The, the technology was, you know, sort of a pipe dream and it didn't go anywhere. But having said that, we became friends and he won me over on the first Skype call by basically, you know, you, you saw his demeanor, you know, when he got up to speak, he's a very, um, you know, genuine, sincere guy. And he's not an in your face guy by any stretch. And he just kind of said, Hey, you know, I'm, I just want you to know, you know, you probably think that we're going to disagree on a lot of stuff, but I think we may agree on more than you believe. Um, and was kind of went down that road. And what he said was he doesn't, you know, the most important thing he can say is he doesn't believe because it was related to this technology development. He doesn't believe that any specific type of firearm or class of firearms should be taken away from everyone. He believes that there's a number of people who shouldn't have any guns at all and that we should be working to keep guns out of their hands. And that, that resonated. Right. And then we, we got into more details. I ended up inviting him to 
a class. I was doing a class. He lives in New York. I was doing a class in Massachusetts and invited him to come out and uh, spend a couple days on the range with American gun owners in a class setting, you know, not wearing a Brady campaign shirt, just show up as a guy with a baseball hat and, and shoot. And John Green, who's um, one of the, the most well-established pro-gun guys I know, you know, in the country, he's worked with NASR, he's been a member of Goal for a, a member of the leadership of Goal for a couple of decades. Uh, he hosts that class every year. So of course I told him what was going on. I said, here's who this guy is. It's not a media event. Don't want to make a big deal about it. I just want to see the guy around gun owners. I want to you know, see him shoot. I want to see him hang out. I want you to meet him. You vet him. You talk to him. And that was over a year ago now. Um, it was a rainy, cold New England, two days on the range. And uh, this guy shot more rounds than 95% of the speakers I've ever seen. You know, it's in my presence. Then, you know, I, haven't, I haven't shot with a lot of the speakers. I mean, you know how it is. You go to the gun industry events, shot show. A lot of those CEOs and executives and the leaders of the gun industry aren't shooters, right? So yeah. he, he spent two days in the rain, shot a thousand rounds in a combat-focused shooting course. Uh, we got to know each other, had a couple of drinks, and that created a conversation that has gone on for over a year now about how can we work together? How can we create the conversation? And then this opportunity came up, and uh, he very bravely um, yeah. got up on that stage. And let me tell you, talk about cold feet walking down the aisle. 10 minutes before he went up on that stage, he was very concerned about getting booed off of it and, uh, you know, the nature of a rally. And, uh, man, that crowd was, was incredibly gracious and, and very welcoming, and they listened to what he had to say. And there was even a moment people will hear where he said, no, I'm not, you know, he said, I'm not, gonna, I'm not here to lie to you. We are going to disagree about some things. And somebody from the crowd yells out, you know, that's okay. Yeah. And it was, that was an imp a very important moment. If we can have, you know, we know how the internet is. I haven't even gone into the comment sections yet on this, but uh, if we can have a, a significant percentage of at least the leadership of the community say, that's okay, let's sit down and talk. Yeah. We're really going to make something happen. Some things happen and people are listening. And I promise you the other side is already listening to the fact that he showed up because they were just as surprised as, uh, as everybody else at the rally when he took that stage. <laughs> Yeah, he is, he's uh, living in an interesting space right now, I would imagine. Um, yeah. it, but, you know, if there's anybody, and I did not sense it from the crowd, I did not sense anything in that crowd that felt like, who's this guy? What's this about? It, there was, it really, when you say gracious, um, engaged, I'm not sure what all the, the descriptors would be, but like, okay, let's hear what you have to say, right? And so it was so much harder for him to take that leap. And now all the friendships that he has from his previous position and that all those conversations that are going to happen, um, then it is for our community to give him that opportunity, afford him that opportunity and afford him an open mind and some open ears and say, well, let's hear what you have to say and let's see what we agree on first. And then we can discuss the things that, that we disagree on. I think it's beautiful. I'm so excited that, that he came and um, he, uh, I did read a, um, an article from Dan, Dave Workman, I believe, yep. who kind of hinted at uh, possibly a collaboration between you and Dan Gross moving forward. Would you like to talk about that at all today? Or is that yeah, he's, kind of he's, like a stay tuned? It is, it's definitely a stay tuned. We've got, um, and it's, it's not just me, there are other people that are gonna be involved in this. Um, we're gonna, I'm sure that we'll talk to you in more detail about it and, and you'll probably wanna have them on the show and talk about this or have us both on together. We 
decided that there was so much potential synergy here and, and so much um, overlapping interest in the end goal that we should find a way to capitalize on it. You know, that we are so polarized as a, as a nation, as a people right now, right? It's, it's, I mean, just look what happened with the elections yesterday. I mean, our, our good friend Maj Ture um, did not win his uh, city council seat in Philadelphia. And it's 100% attributable to the fact that so many people in the city of Philadelphia that were out there rallying voters and, and trying to affect and influence people as they came to the polls were telling people, you know, don't, if, if you don't want to support Trump, if you don't support the Trump, then you have to vote Democrat. You know, Democrats are what Philadelphia is all about. This part of the city, these people, we need with Democrats. If they don't have a D next to the name, don't vote for them. Well, mm -hmm. Maj uh, has, a, has an L next to his name for libertarian, and he did not do super well. And yet we saw the response from, from people on the street. We saw the people he was talking to. We know how genuine and sincere he is, what a good person he is, and would have been great to have as a voice, not just for the two-way, but for human beings on that city council. And yet because he wasn't a Democrat, he wasn't getting elected. And what do we have? We have on our side, right? We have on our side, and the NRA is, is probably the leader on this drum, is if it doesn't have an R next to it, don't vote for it. You've got to vote all R's all the time, period. Well, I get it. Like, I, I understand we don't want to vote for someone who's anti-gun, but at the same time, the way to do that is to talk to the politicians and maybe educate some of them about why being supportive of the Second Amendment and our gun rights and our civil rights in general is incredibly important, not just turning our back and voting in a polarized way. So what happens is if, if we polarize ourselves, and I think a lot of people are, are just sick and tired of it, to be, to be honest. I think there's a whole bunch of people in America who are just throwing their hands up. They don't watch CNN or MSNBC or Fox, and they just, they're, they're sort of withdrawn, right? I mean, you go back to the, the classic reference a lot of people make is like Atlas Shrug, right? Where people are just like, I'm out. You know, you guys continue squabbling over that. I'm going to go live on a mountain somewhere and just do my own thing. And there's a lot of objective, critically thinking, capable human beings in our country that are just tired of it. And they, they want real conversation, right? And that's what Dan and I represent, is an ability for two people who disagree pretty vehemently about a whole bunch of stuff to sit down at a table, kind of we talk about separate church and state and focus on the important things. Um, what's going to happen here is it's, it's very easy. And I, we, we've talked about, it. of course, he, he's fully aware, I'm aware. Somebody's going to go to the internet and Google Dan Gross, and they're going to find his TED Talk, or they're going to find something he said in 2004. They're going to see him on, on a uh, stage or on a TV show debating Alan Gottlieb, and they're going to say, look, this guy is an anti-gun guy. And we're going to say, yeah, we, we introduced him as the past president of Brady. Like, we knew that. We got it. <laughs> well, in 2003, what? 2003 he said... Like, yeah, it was, that's 2003. That's great. Like, now we're here, right? Like, right. If, if you don't think people can evolve. Like, so I need people to worry about where the common ground is. And we believe that the Center for Gun Rights and Responsibilities is going to represent where that common ground is. And people hear common ground and they're going to say, well, that sounds like common sense. And we've somehow made common sense like a swear word in the gun community, right? Because the other side tried to, to weaponize that idea against us, right? But there's no reason we can't admit that like none of raise your hand if you want a four-year-old to be able to find an unloaded gun have access to an unloaded gun in a, in a in a home anywhere in america right nobody's raising that hand so mm -hmm. so if, if we agree on that let's start from that premise and move forward let, let how about raise your hand if you want a family to be able to be terrorized and possibly killed by armed intruders because they don't have the means to defend themselves inside their home in America. Raise your hand. Mm. Okay. We agree on that. Good. Let's move forward from there. 
Raise your hand if you think Americans should be deprived of their private property that they purchased with hard-earned money without compensation in violation of the Fourth and Second Amendment. Okay, nobody's raised their hand on that. Good. Okay, let's now let's move forward from there. We have so many things that we agree upon in principle. Mm-hmm. That the, the hard part, the challenge is to do the hard work and find out how to put those principles into practice in a way that doesn't, um, A, violate rights. I think that's, you know, and I think Dan would agree that the, that the number one thing is the Constitution is the way it is. The courts have, have interpreted it the way they have. We need to, to be true to that. Secondly, we need to make sure that people, you know, freedom isn't safe, right? We get that. Freedom is not safe, but we need to make sure that we're not missing opportunities to mitigate risk. Right. And, and something like, you know, like gun storage stuff. Right. Like I've got a gun safe here behind me. There's another this green one. The Walk the Talk America uh, storage safe from Gunball, you know, the Identilock um, kind of a thing. The, the idea is we've got to make sure that we're doing what we can inside of the community. And Dan's role in some ways is just to go out to the people that he used to talk to and influence and used to look at him as a leader against gun owners and say they're doing something right take diana's line right like hashtag doing something they're doing things look at walk talk america look at hold my guns look at the the two aos you know push for rights and responsibilities look at all the products that exist uh that, that are all around gun safety so i can you know i can push this button and have access to this gun in less than a second but at the same time i can put this clamshell back on it and now toddler pinkus could come down here and no, I'm not going to put this in her hands for dramatic effect. But the point being, she couldn't hurt herself with this right now, right? And yet in less than a second, I can absolutely defend us both from someone who comes in the door, from someone who's going to try to hurt us. And, and that, those products didn't exist 40 years ago. Right. 30 years ago, there were very few of them. You know, 20 years ago, there were more. 10 years ago, we, we, we saw a lot of people talking about them. But today, you know, I don't know a gun owner. A, especially a new gun owner that doesn't understand the importance of buying the safe or buying the box or buying the lock when they buy their gun, right? How many people do we know that, you know, 20 years ago would take a gun and, and just tuck it in their pants and go out and about their day, right? That now we, we demonize the person who doesn't carry responsibly with a proper holster. And that's us. That's not a law. That's not anti-gunners. So there's a lot that's going to come from the Center for Gun Rights and Responsibility. We're, about, we're probably going to launch our first project with a, uh, we'll, we'll be announcing who else is involved in that between now and the end of the year. It took us about six months to find a project that we both believed in mm-hmm. and that we both felt would have traction inside of the community uh, as a grassroots effort that had nothing to do with legislation, that had nothing to do with a mandatory requirement, but that would, would A, create a real positive have a positive effect. Maybe, I don't know if we can track it, but it'll have a positive effect on, on the behavior of gun owners towards responsibility and, and to reduce accidents and reduce negligence and reduce opportunities for negative outcomes. And at the same time, um, be one that we could uh, institute across the gun community in a relatively easy uh, way in terms of funding and in terms of uh, how does someone take advantage of this opportunity to be a more responsible gun owner and to demonstrate that responsibility to the world. Because as I've said for years, by demonstrating the fact that we're being responsible, we work against those who would legislate their version of responsibility upon us. So that's what the Center for Gun Rights and Responsibilities is going to be about. One of the other projects we're looking at is sort of a, uh, you know, a, a CGRR stamp of approval or a rating system for things like quick access safes, uh, for things like gun cabinets and, and gun locks, you know, that, that, old, that one that we all grew up with, with the glass front and the, uh, you know, $2 lock. 
probably not going to rank really high on our uh, on our list, but something like the Identilock device for those interested in securing a defensive handgun from uh, negligence and, and access from children and things like that is probably going to rank pretty high on our list. And that'll give especially new gun owners uh, a place to go to say, okay, which product makes sense? And it's, it's obviously not going to be advertising and it's not going to be promotional. It's going to be educational and informational, um, kind of like a, a consumer report style um, approach. Very interesting. And I think really the, as you said, Who's going to raise their hand and go, yeah, I think uh, four-year-olds should just wander around the house and pick up a loaded gun, you know? So it's when we get to that point that the government is forcing us, right. that's where we bristle. That We're like, yes, we As understand. As we should. Right. That's where we, un we understand the wisdom of it, on and on and on. But the minute that it's being, you know, just like training, I'm a huge component or a proponent of training. Here in Arizona, we have constitutional carry. So you would think that as a gun store owner, we have AZ firearms, you would think that as I'm selling guns, that's gonna be my key you know, piece of information. Hey, constitutional carry, you don't need any license, any permission, any training, but we don't. In our store, we encourage everyone to go and get their concealed carry license for the training and the education of the laws. Right. And so I'm a huge proponent of that. But I have some friends that say, well, you should have to ha you should have to have such and such a training before you're allowed to own a firearm. And then that's where I disagree with that person just because, well, now it's being imposed on me. Uh, yes. So when we as firearms owners, we as a community are sort of policing ourselves, um, you know, maybe applying that social pressure from within that like you said, you're carrying a gun in your pocket, you know, with no sheath over the trigger guard. I'm sorry, you know. Why would you do that? You know, it's not yeah. like I have to go trash them publicly or anything, but you know, to apply that pressure and help them see, and I don't respect that. And I don't, I don't, you're free to do what you want because it's your body and hopefully you're the only one that you injure when you reach in your pocket for your keys and you accidentally pull your trigger. Uh, but uh, to have the government put that boot on our neck and then all that goes along with that, because then it's like, well, it has to be exactly this kind right. of the cost and the time and the, the assertive and the instructors, you create a business around the instructor has to go through this class. It's uh, yeah, it's a big thing. Obviously, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of training, but there's okay. a difference between should and must. Thank right. You. So, so I, um, you know, take cigarettes, for example, I, I don't, want someone smoking up my home with their cigarette stink, right? But at the same time, I don't, it's, it, I don't think cigarettes should be illegal, right? Right. I don't even think they should be taxed the way they are. Like, okay, if you're going to smoke a cigarette out on the street or in your house or in that restaurant or in that private club, have fun, right? right. But you, it, I think you should be educated on the risks and you should respect my private property opinion when, I, when I'm in my house. And I feel the same way about carrying the gun, right? Obviously, I'm a big proponent of carrying a gun, but if I'm throwing the dinner party and I'm serving the alcohol, I don't carry when I drink. I don't want you carrying when you drink. And you know what? I get it. Like you came to my house. We're, we're having a couple of drinks. We're having a good time. Hey, Rob, I, I haven't had a chance to hold one of those guns you're working on. Like, can I, can you get, no, you know, sorry. Maybe I have a, a 3d print or a model or something, but I'm not going to open the gun safe. And you know, I'm, there are people who can testify to the fact that that was not my policy, you know, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, 25 years ago. But over time, I realized that it's just, it's not worth the risk. It's not worth the potential negative outcomes for me to, to have a few drinks and be carrying a gun or for me to have 
people over and everybody's having a few drinks and we're passing guns around, even if I think there's no ammo in the room or whatever else. We just don't do it. And that to me, if the government were to come in and say, hey, if you're serving alcohol in your home or if you have alcohol in your home, you can't also have guns, right? Because that's, we have a lot of people in this country that live in states like Colorado where marijuana is legal, right? But federally, it's still illegal. So you can't have a medical marijuana card and a gun at the same time. What is that? And you know, Maj, Maj calls it, you know, pick your freedom. And which freedom do you want? And uh, we have we have a problem with that in in our community. I'll be I, I go all the way to say the whole gun free zone thing, right? I respect private property rights to the point where if some business owner wants to put a sign in their door and says no guns allowed, cool. I don't have to go in there. I don't think the government should force them to let me in there. Mm-hmm. And quite honestly, I think if people keep the gun concealed and go in there anyway and spend their money and they're they're supporting a business right. that is against our rights. They're implicitly telling the person, I'm okay with that. Every one of your neighbors that sees you walk in and out of that store, whether they know you're carrying a gun or not, you either look like a hypocrite or you look like you're supporting the anti-gun establishment. Mm. Like, just don't go in or Mm. call them, right? Don't go in open carrying and violate their private property rights. But either don't go in or tell them why you're not going in or whatever. But I don't think we should be sneaking around in violation of that person's request because we need to be respectful of freedom. Freedom isn't pretty. Freedom is messy. Freedom is dangerous. Freedom is risky. Freedom is hard. You mentioned nuance earlier, Mm -hmm. right? These issues are complex, Mm -hmm. right? So it's, so you go back to Dan, like Rob's working with the guy who ran the Brady campaign. Shouldn't I be? Do we not want him to change? Do we not want him like over here on our side? Are we willing to write off the 53% of the country that's never fired a gun, never lived in a gun with the home. Cause guess what? 53% wins in those elections. Right. So I think we need to be, to be doing that. And there's a lot of people who would rather polarize it and say, Nope, uh, absolutely not. No way. I'm not even going to sit down with that person. I saw a bunch of people today after the elections results came out. Well, I'm never, I, I can't, I'm not even going to have talk to my friends who vote Democrat. Well, that's not going to help. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, with my poor daughter, bless her heart. We just have one child. She's 30 now, so she's not a kid anymore, but everything in her life was a teachable moment. I just, mm-hmm. it's just the way that I think, you know? And so, uh, you know, to, to have those big blanket statements like, oh, well, clearly uh, we can't listen to this Dan guy because whatever, or clearly, oh, Rob, hmm, what's he doing? He's playing with the other side. You know, we have to be able to expand our minds. We have to be able to work with people who disagree with us. Again, getting back to this um, and find those teachable moments. Go into the establishments you're talking about and try to have a conversation. Try to have a teachable moment. If you find out that avenue is not open to you, well, you, you gave it your best shot. Move along. This is America. You can find another bakery, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, uh, just getting back to the, the rally for a second, uh, I, I am hearing you say that you believe and the organizers believe that it was a success. Um, and so I'm hoping that I'm hearing that perhaps it'll, it'll happen again, but in anything that we, we do, any business we start, any, um, you know, event we go to, uh, there's going to be hurdles. There's going to be challenges. What would you say was one of your biggest hurdles or challenges as you, uh, I mean, now you look back, maybe it wasn't such a big challenge, but looking forward before it happened, what were a couple of those things? Uh, I, I think the, the, 
I mentioned kind of like the, the herding cats aspect, right, of, of a bunch of, you know, mostly type A, free thinking, entrepreneurial leaders uh, as speakers and trying to, you know, kind of get them in this collaborative moment of, of trust, right? And, and that was for, the, for a, an organization that wanted to remain, you know, we've kind of hit on some of these things already, wanted to remain uh, as anonymous as possible, wanted this to be as much about the speakers and the attendees and the mission and the message in American gun owners as possible. Um, really just getting people to, to let that be and move into the work, right? Not, not have to worry about, but what, but what if? You know, like, well, I don't, I don't know the what if, right? Like, what is the what if? We had, um, it's interesting, we had so much, I mean, let's just take a, take a, a look at the, the NRA situation, right? And I think you and I uh, agree on some aspects of the NRA situation and probably disagree on some aspects of how the community should be dealing with what's going on and what's been going on at the NRA. But we had on the stage, forget about our disagreement from like, you know, a couple arms reach, right? We literally had an NRA board member we had the guy who was founded, the co-founder of the organization that's working from outside to reform the NRA in a, in a pretty antagonistic way from the outside. And then we had a, an NRA board member who recently resigned in protest over the way the NRA is acting, but he's also not working with this organization because it's not the, the method that he thinks is going to be the most effective. I mean, right there, those three speakers sharing the stage. So the challenge for us was was not in finding, as you said, there there are scores of great leaders and great speakers and great messages out there in the gun rights community. It was finding the people that could separate church and state, mm -hmm. get up on the stage, do their thing and be proud of doing it, standing mm -hmm. next to that other person, even if they didn't like them or even if they didn't agree with them in some, some other way. Um, and that's just, I can't tell you how inspiring and rewarding it was that we found the 30 people that could do that. And again, there's probably another 30 we could have found if, if all 30 had walked away, we'd have found another 30 that would have been, been capable of doing it as well. And that message was when we really wanted to come out of this. And, and that was harder than, you know, getting the permit or worrying about finding the money or, you know, any of that. There's other things you can't worry about, right? Like, what if it's bad weather? I, I don't know. You mentioned porta potties earlier. I cannot tell you how many times we get questions like, will there be water? Mm. I got, I, I don't know. Like my job isn't to hydrate the crowd, right? My job, <laughs> that's not like if, if, if these people are there, like in under the premise of we can be trusted with firearms and we want to be able to defend ourselves and we're Americans and we're proud, like find some water, man. Like there's a bathroom here somewhere. It's Washington, DC. They have bathrooms. I, you know, that's not our job. What about trash bags? Are we going to have trash bags? No, I, I don't. If they carried it on the lawn, they can carry it off the lawn. That lawn was pristine. I actually ended up back up there um, late that night, just kind of, I was walking by, going back to my hotel, and that area, I found one, somebody had, had a t-shirt that was kind of on the wall that they obviously just walked off and forgot, um, but other than that t-shirt that was on the wall and clearly, you know, wasn't like torn to shreds or left as trash, there literally was no evidence that there was a Second Amendment rally or anything had happened on that lawn that afternoon, um, and yet I walked through a sea of, of trash and, you know, just detritus from the the baseball parade because so i had to walk down pennsylvania avenue to get down to where we were and it was it was amazing the contrast a couple of people put up pictures from the, the street uh, to the, the lawn on that next morning from sunday morning so that the challenges were um entirely wrapped around the the ethos you know the feeling the vibe that we wanted this thing to have and maintaining that because at some point it would, at some points it would have been a lot easier to just say okay just so everybody knows, here's the people funding it. Because honestly, I think if we just said, here are the funding sources, everybody on that speaker committee would go, oh, I love that. 
that's so cool, right? But then it you know, changes it, right? If we just said, okay, you know, we also didn't get too much into micromanaging. So there were, there were, as you know, there were certain guidelines for the speakers and there were certain, you know, we want you to do this, but you know, not in this way a couple of times, but most of we, we didn't say, okay, we need Anthony Garcia and Anthony Calandro. We, we'd really love to have you guys hug. And uh, that be, could you, could we do that? You know, and it's like, we, so it wasn't overly, you know, it wasn't too right. much. Orchestrated. Right, orchestrated. It was not orchestrated. Yeah, it was, and, and, and to me, I, I thrive in that chaos personally, right? Like, I don't, I don't like the detail planning. I would say like the, even like when I teach, right, my lesson plan survives first contact with the student, you know, like a military plan survives first contact with the enemy, and then you're making it up from there. And that's kind of how our lesson plans are. The students are going to ask a question or they're going to bring a piece of gear you weren't expecting, or they're going to be more fit or less fit or something like you just kind of go with it. And this was very much a go with it event. Um, so, so the, it was, there was a information control just so people didn't worry about things. But then of course people worry about not having information, right? Well, like who, who's going to speak after me? Why does that matter? Right. Like, why does it, like, what are you going to say differently Right. If, if, you know, this person's going after you, this other person's going after you. Does it really matter? Well, I'd just like to know. Okay. And nobody wanted to go after Maj, right? I think that was the secret, <laughs> right? So I was like, well, that, that's that, understandable. Because really you know what it came follow. down to. Nobody wanted to go after Maj. So I took the spot. I, I said, okay, because whoever goes after Maj is going to be like, why'd you make me go after Maj? I'll go after Maj. You know, so that was, uh, awesome. that was, that was, <laughs> so it, it, it's, the challenges were looking back now. Um, you know, the event went, as well as as we could have expected, it, it probably went better than expected. From my standpoint, I'll say that it, it went. I was I was prepared for much more, you know, little things going wrong, or this left, or the microphone, or the speed. Who knows what, right? Bad weather. Uh, so Bad weather. better than I expected. It went at least as well as I could have hoped for in every way. Um, would we have loved to have twenty thousand people out there? Sure, but but I, that was I don't think that was ever in the cards, you know. So the fact that we had we had we had more than a thousand. We were good. If it if it was three thousand total, that's even better. And and other than that one metric, which we were never going to have a million people. No. You know what would have made people happy? You know, well, a million people would have made people happy. Would have been really hard to argue with. But somebody would have said, well, that's only one percent of American gun owners. So right. you know, it's, 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 where you have to be realistic in your goals. But I will say that my expectations were exceeded, and I think that was the case for everybody that I talked to, whether it was an attendee, a speaker, or certainly those on the organizing committee. Uh, expectations were exceeded. The people who are, you know, saying, "Well, that was a flop," you know, they weren't there. No, no, there was no way it was a flop by any stretch of the imagination, um, and you know there were a million people there when you count how many people are going to be touched by the various as we talked about the videos or just even the the little graphics or i guess you call them posters that you we're going to share around on on instagram where we're and, and shout out shout out to cassie cassie had been, you know you were I, I give you the gold star award you did more to promote now you're like me though you have you kind of like one post goes to five different places, right? So you you have the, because we've got all these different interests, right? Like I get, I do the same thing. So, so 2AO puts something out or walk the talk, but it, it's, you definitely did just in frequency and in sincerity, you did as much as anyone else to promote this event. And I know that Cassie is like your, your right-hand girl on um, creating a lot of that energy. And yeah. she's been a great asset to the whole speaker team because she volunteered her graphic design uh, both before and now after to do the the build up speaker posters and now she's doing the 
after having spoke posters. And uh, our photographer, Paul Carlson, got a lot of those pictures, but also shout out uh, to Tracy Guns, uh, who came out from Vegas, you know, on her own dime to be part of it. And she got some great pictures. She, she was plopped right there in front of the, the speaker podium center stage. And we used a few of her pictures in those posters coming out, too. So uh, much thanks to her and to Cassie for that help. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, our daughter, Cassie, she's, uh, man, she is my, uh, anytime, because it's technology, right? Yeah. I'm 52. I don't know how to do this stuff. I and don't know. I, you know, I had somebody tell me, somebody gave, uh, I forget what it was. They were asking me, they were sort of grilling me about something in my business. And well, you really rely on uh, the, the new, the new methods of t talking to people with the internet. And, and when did, like, I don't know what you mean by new. Like, what does that mean? When did, like social media. I mean, that's, I, got, I started in social media when my daughter, my, my older daughter got a MySpace account. So um, you're talking about, that's like over a decade ago. I was talking about guns and through 300 baud modems in the early eighties. So, so don't, don't lump all of us who happen to be over the age of 40 into the technology scary, but, uh, but Cassie is, is, is great to have. And, uh, you know, and I know you use technology well. I mean, we're, we're sitting here talking to who knows how many thousands of people from your, your, your library on your phone, right? So That's true. But she is my technical advisor. Anytime I'm like, <laughs> what does this button do? You know, she's like, mom, all right, move. I'll fix it. Um, but yeah, so, so the follow-up step, uh, we're taking these beautiful pictures that like, say, Tracy Lee, Tracy Guns captured. And she's like, yeah, that's just from my cell phone. And I'm like, yep. Oh my gosh, she's just, she's so talented. And so Cassie is superimposing a quote from each person's speech. And then we're going to be sharing those around and those are going to live forever. Those yep. are going to be usable, you know, years and years from now. So yes, you, you did reach a million people plus uh, maybe some of them aren't reached yet, but, but they will be. Um, so then kind of, you know, maybe this is a stay tuned question, but we've danced around the, is it going to happen again? And I think you hinted that there's, you know, you haven't even debriefed until later today with, with your team to see if it's, um, you know, you get more yays than nays, but, uh, percentage wise, what do you think? Well, I, I, I think this, there are definitely going to be Second Amendment rallies that are inspired by or informed by what we did here. And I know that a lot of the people that were involved with this one are going to be involved in future ones. And whether that means another one uh, at, at the Capitol Lawn, whether it means one on the Capitol Mall, whether it means one uh, in, a, in another state capital or somewhere else, I, I think that what we did set down uh, a precedent, an example to be followed. And certainly there's a lot of resources now for the people who are involved in it, including the attendees who can now go back and become leaders. And I, I said that was one of the goals early on was that I saw the thousands of people that were going to show up, whether it was, you know, 2,000 or 10,000, they were going to leave as grassroots leaders. Um, they were going to leave as people who could then inspire and make other things happen. So will there be a ripple effect? Absolutely. Will there be a, a version two of this? Almost certainly. Will it be the same people? Will it be the same logo? Will it be the same place? Will it be the same time of year? You know, those are all the detail questions that, again, let's go back to the idea. Fundamentally, this worked. It should happen again. How's it going to happen again? Stay tuned. Or if you're listening to this, go go make it happen. But, you know, invite Cheryl and I. We'll help. <laughs> I like it. I like that. Uh, and I think that it's important that we at least have one more before the election, because I think that it's important for our representatives to understand who it is they're representing and, and to understand what, what we're thinking and what we're saying, because we 
so often our voices don't get heard on the national news and uh, you know places where it's easy to find us. So I, I think that it would be very valuable before people are walking up to the polls so that it's less likely that somebody's influenced to say, as you were saying in, in um, Philadelphia, that someone can just go, yeah, just vote straight D. Yeah, just vote sure, straight R. Sure. Yeah, just vote. And so I've been fairly vocal about saying I am a single issue voter, the second mm -hmm. amendment, because I feel that it tells me the way that my representative values and speaks about the Second Amendment tells me so much about them and what they think of me as an individual and as a voter. So, um, you know. Yeah, that is so true. That is so true. And it's, um, you know, we, we, it's, you balance, everybody's got an idea of when it should be, right? It should be in the summer. Well, well quite frankly, three and a half hours standing no. in July sun, not no. a good idea. Well, January doesn't make any sense either. The spring is school trips. You know, imagine the number of school kids and buses and all that out there in the spring. The fall seems like a good time, especially because it's election season. Well, it's hunting. I took one of the biggest bucks I've ever taken in my life, certainly the biggest one I've taken with a bow three and a half days before I showed up in D.C. to, to do this. Uh, you can hunt. There's plenty of times to hunt. Don't tell me hunting is an excuse. I don't buy it. I've been hunting for a long time. I'm a hunter. But hunting isn't the excuse not to give up uh, a Saturday. The one of the things we had some speakers, um, some politicians who were very interested in supporting this, including some uh, in the Virginia races uh, that couldn't make it because it was the last Saturday before the election. Um, so, so there is a, a balancing act there to when to have it. You know, after the heat, before the election, maybe before hunting season. Uh, you know, October twenty fourth maybe would be a neat day. Um, it's a couple weeks before the election, somewhere in that range-ish. And we also, you know, a lot of us participate in the gun rights policy conference. I said to, to someone over the weekend that this was kind of like gun rights policy conference for the masses because GRPC tends to be, you know, the, the more diehard, educated, involved, you know, already in the fight. Whereas we wanted this to be, you know, very similar in terms of the wide landscape of, of gun owners uh, and, and representing the gun thought space we talked about that diversity um so a lot of us obviously very very supportive of and, and value our time at drpc and that happens in september every year so we can't push back too far uh and without interfering and, and certainly not wanting to compete with that event but wanting to complement that event because second amendment foundation does such a good job with it mm -hmm. uh so there's there's a lot of balancing acts in play to have picked the date and then landed where we did and um, it was neat that it was the second of the month uh for the second amendment rally we'll see what happens next year Yes, I do love that. That was my dad's birthday, actually. Oh, and cool. He's uh, he's a strong two A patriot himself. So uh, the plus was that I felt that I was there, you know, honoring him. The minus was that I completely forgot to call him on his birthday. So oh. <laughs> so I uh, I ate a little bit of crow today, but uh, it, it's all good. Um, so I just want to wrap up now. I just want to lean into all the hats that you wear, all the businesses that you're involved in, all the boards that you're involved in, and um, give you a chance to tell folks, you know, how do they stay in contact with that work that you're doing? Because even if they end up falling away accidentally and, and you know, come off of that, that email list that, that has to be destroyed, if they're following you, they're gonna know that you're doing this other thing, this other rally. So sure, yeah, and and you know, again, all of our speakers. I think it, even even obviously, we're not gonna have the exact same lineup next year. But I would I would hope to think that 
all 30 people that were involved this year, plus the other organizers, the other companies involved, the attendees. I would like to hope that everybody's going to support whatever might happen in the future, even if it's just, hey, we're doing a rally in Arizona or we're doing a rally in Pennsylvania or whatever it is. Um, look at uh, Josh Prince. He was very involved this year in uh, the hearings that happened in uh, Harrisburg in Pennsylvania. And he brought a lot of people out because of his social media. You know, hey, come stand. You're not going to get anything out of it. You're just going to be there supporting the Second Amendment. Come hang out at the Capitol building. And so I think it's important to follow all the speakers. For me, um, you know, if you're watching this, um, you have the, the technological ability to find me uh, because I'm all over the internet, right? I try to be um, Pincus Rob, you know, at Pincus Rob on Twitter or on Instagram, uh, Rob Pincus or Rob Pincus Pro on Facebook. Um, there's a bunch of different websites. Use the search engine. You know, it's, it's, uh, I, am, I am out there a lot. Avidity Arms is the uh, company that we're going to be launching relatively soon uh, with a new pistol product, uh, the PD-10. Uh, Personal Defense Network is where you go for the training information or ICETraining.us. And of course, Walk the Talk America is another organization that was represented up on the stage. Mike Sedini is the founder there. Um, I work with him. I'm on the board there. And Second Amendment organization, you know, a lot of people ask me uh, questions about, you know, what about this? Well, I heard you say that. Well, what about storage, gun storage? Are you in favor of gun storage laws? I heard you advocating for people responsibly storing their guns. Gunrights.info. Gunrights.info is a collection of position statements on a wide variety of things from NFA to open carry to uh, background checks, uh, things like just about every, I think it was like 60 position statements. Those are the position statements officially of the Second Amendment organization. I'm the executive vice president of the Second Amendment organization. So you can be sure that there's about a 99 point something percent overlap in Rob Pincus's personal opinion and the opinions that are expressed there at the position statements, which also happen to be then the positions of all of our board members at 2AO. And we're, uh, we're not a membership organization. We're funded by a few generous uh, benefactors who help us do what we want to do in terms of helping to create more grassroots activists. And that really speaks to the heart of uh, what the rally was about. So again, uh, Second Amendment organization would be one to watch in terms of news for other uh, grassroots events and possibly another national rally uh, on the mall or at the uh, Capitol as well. And that's the 2AO.org. Yep, Second Amendment organization. And just real quick, because I think we got a little peek at the, the PD-10, did we? On your desk? It's, I, I, yeah, I've got a couple. I've got, I've got like parts, right? So that's kind of like this one's actually a nice Cryptech one. I've got this. I've got two slides here. One's Cryptech. One's, so this is kind of the state of the PD-10, right? So um, I've got an MMP. I'm wearing a Glock. Uh, but the PD-10 is still in pieces, but we'll, we'll get there someday. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll get there. It's a single stack, uh, 10 plus one uh, defensive firearm, you know, specifically, I, I've, I've spent a couple of decades watching thousands of people hold guns. Uh, that informed the design specifications and aspects of the PD-10. Lots of people have shot it. Um, you know, hundreds of people have shot the gun over the last couple of years, the shooting prototypes as we've been evolving the production. And uh, we are, we're close and people that's the number one question is when can i buy one and i just keep telling people when it's ready you know there's companies that have been in business for hundreds of years that launch guns that have to be recalled six months later um, we don't want our first gun we just saw an american gun company startup fail last year because they quite frankly they launched before they were ready and the guns had a lot of problems and the company bankrupted pretty quick um, we don't want to be in that i'd much rather have some some people show up on the internet saying it's a it's never going to happen then try to force it to happen when it's not really ready. So we're still working on that. No, that's great. And I'm, I'm thinking of that commercial that I grew up with where the ketchup is just never gonna, it's just, it's yeah. gonna come out of the bottle, but it's 
you know, and it's the anticipation. I mean, they made a whole uh, motto out of that. So right. Right. Uh, just enjoy the delicious anticipation of it. Uh, it will come, it will happen, and it will be uh, worth the wait, right? I think so. Yeah, we. I mean, our, our Facebook cover page, cover picture is literally like I had a laser. I had one of the slides like laser etched was still not for sale. I mean, it's, it's kind of become a joke now. Like if, if, if you think this is just like a, a marketing ploy to get some more likes on a company that doesn't exist, like I don't even understand that mentality, but some people think that. I mean, I mean, there are people who are, who are pretty sure that like, you know, Dan Gross quit the Brady campaign to become a double agent and get himself onto the two-way rally stage because somehow they knew before we did, we were going to have a two-way rally. I just, that, that people will come up with all kinds of, of, you know, wonderful stories to explain things that, that are really pretty simple. We want this to be right and working and, and trustable with your life to defend yourself or someone you care about before we ship it. And, and until I believe that, you know, it's just not going to ship. So we're working on it. All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, you're thank a big, you. busy man. And to add uh, not only all that it took, all the man hours that it took to put this rally together, um, but then to do all this wrap up and take time with us today to, to talk about it. So appreciate you. Uh, appreciate the work that you do. And uh, we're I'm eager to have you back on and talk about What's going on with the, what did you call it? The CGRR, the yep. Center for Gun Rights and Responsibility, um, and uh, possibly the next rally. Yeah, we had a great team. And it certainly, you know, I've, I've been really clear with people, like there are a whole bunch of people that just, just thank the organizers, put out, a, put out a social media post thanking everybody who was involved. They're watching. Um, they were floating around at, at the rally. They got to shake hands with a lot of the speakers. You met um, some of the people, I think, that funded it. Um, and and it, just the graciousness with which they're approaching it, not wanting to, to you know, jump on top of a pedestal and take that credit. Um, they, they really do deserve a lot of it. And it's the community. If nothing else, the speakers. You know, it, it was the team of speakers that made it happen because you guys all had to believe in the idea um, enough to put your names on it and then use your influence, use your audience, take your time, obviously fund yourselves out there. We didn't cover any of that. Uh, there, a lot had to be done to make that happen. And uh, it's far more than I ever could have done. You know, even, even uh, half of, of uh, the time I have for other projects being taken away all the time, I never could have made this happen without you guys and without a whole bunch of other people um, that really gave me the opportunity. I mean, the, the committee called me in August and said, there's about four members of the committee at that point called me up and said, Hey, we're, we're thinking of doing this. And would you like to help? Uh, and and I'm, I'm so glad that they called and reached out because I, I did want to help. And I'm glad that I did. It was a great event. It's awesome. It was an absolute joy to be a part of. It was uh, an honor to be able to be there with all of the people that also marked time out of their calendar. Um, and it's just a, really, it is a, a testimony to who we are as Americans mm -hmm and as uh, firearms owners and constitutionalists. So again, thank you so much, Rob Pincus. Thank you. All right, stick around. There is always lots more coming up on Gun Freedom Radio. And we're out. No, we're not. <laughs> and we're close. And we're almost out. Cassie's going to have to edit this. That's where Cassie comes in. <laughs> okay, maybe now we're out.